to apply that uh, to our lives. And so as I was studying for this message, I realized that I preached this text before, um, and so I had a a little bit of a head start on my study. And then as I was continuing to study, it just kind of all flowed in, and and the weight of the truth of Scripture was just kind of pressing me. And I'm studying this, and I'm like, man, whew, I am a mess. I am a wreck. Um, That's what the word typically does to us is points out where we need to grow and we need to become more like Jesus. And so as I was thinking through this, I'm like, okay, the truth that Matthew has for us, okay, how does this, how does this apply to me? How does this truth change my heart, change my mind, change my life? We know that the Word of God is active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, and it's there to equip us and to teach us and to train in righteousness. And so as I was thinking through and meditating on this truth, uh, I came up with um, a, a weakness or uh, looking like myself in the mirror. I, I saw some things that I needed to change. Uh, and I'm, I'm calling these what I call gospel inconsistencies, which I'm defining as, I don't have it in my notes, so I have to read it. What I believe doesn't translate to how I live. And there's these gospel consistencies. And even though I I believe the gospel, when it comes to those things, sometimes it doesn't translate for me. And so I'm seeing the truth of the word and I'm I'm seeing the truth that Matthew has for us. And I'm like, okay, there's a little bit of a gap. And as I was studying and I was just preparing, um, I came through this question through Charles Spurgeon. And it's a rhetorical question. I don't want you to answer it out loud. I want you to think about it. Um, But he says this, let me ask you, how many atheists are in the house? Perhaps not a single one of us would accept the title, and yet we live from Monday morning to Saturday night in the same way as I or we would live as if there were no God. If you answer that question, you're a practical atheist, what he calls a practical atheist. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, ooh, ouch. And then another uh, author put it this way, practical atheism is holding to an intellectual commitment to belief in God, but thinking and feeling and behaving as if there were no God. Let me read that again. Practical atheism is holding to an intellectual commitment to belief in God, but thinking, feeling, and behaving as if there were no God. So I'm thinking that and I'm letting that truth, uh, you know, ponder in my soul. And then I found a, a sermon by Martin Luther King Jr. And he said this, the most dangerous type of atheism is not the theoretical atheism, but the practical. That's the most dangerous type. And the world, even the church, is filled with people who pay lip service to God and not life service. There's always a danger, King said, that we will make it appear externally that we believe in God when internally we don't. We say with our mouths that we believe in him, but we live our lives like he never existed. That is the ever-present danger in confronting religion. That's a dangerous type of atheism. But maybe you're not convinced that you're a practical atheist or you struggle with believing practical atheism. So let me give you some comparisons between atheism and practical atheism. Atheists don't pray because they don't believe in God. Practical atheists believe in God but often have a weak or non-existent prayer life. Atheists don't read or study or meditate on scripture because they believe the Bible is a fictitious book, a hoax, a sham. 
practical atheists believe the Bible is the Word of God, but rarely read it or study it, let alone apply it to our lives. Atheists boast that they don't need God and get along every day without Him in their lives, while practical atheists occasionally acknowledge God on Sundays when they attend church, but seem to live without Him the rest of the week. Atheists don't have time for family devotions because they see no need. Practical atheists don't have family devotions because they don't have the time. Atheists live for today focusing on life and slaying up treasures on this earth. And ironically, practical atheists do the same thing. And my goal here this morning is not to put the weight of our struggle on us, but to acknowledge that we subtly go through life acting as if God doesn't exist. And so I'm studying this and God is pressing the truth because what Matthew has to say to us takes the idea of practical atheism and rips it to shreds. And so when we think and feel and live as there is no God, we struggle. I struggle to be gentle with my wife. I struggle to serve her and to love her. I struggle with sharing the gospel. I struggle with a daily practice of reading God's word, of praying to him. I struggle with making disciples. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. The, the Holy Spirit does, and thankfully, um, he speaks through his word. But whatever you're going through, whatever your struggle is, Think about if your struggle is because you're acting as if God doesn't exist. We struggle to prioritize God first in our lives. We struggle to spend time with him and his word. We struggle to pray like we ought to. We struggle to love our families and our spouses and our kids and our parents. We struggle to lead. We struggle to submit. We struggle to obey. We struggle to forgive. We struggle to trust. We struggle with sin we struggle to call out sin. We struggle with despair, anxiety, frustration, anger, and laziness. And we struggle to make disciples. And so again, I, I want us to not discourage you, but to open up to a reality that we may be facing, that whatever we're going through, that struggle is because we don't believe and we don't act, we don't feel, we don't live as if God exists. But but praise God, he has given us his truth. And Matthew has something to tell us this morning that will encourage us and empower us and strengthen us for when we're struggling in this way. So if you have your Bible, open that to Matthew chapter one. If you don't have a Bible or you don't wanna use your phone or your iPad, you can use the Bible in front of you in the chair. Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25, that's on page um, 675, and we're going to continue where Pastor Glenn left off last week, looking at not only just Jesus' purpose and how he was named, but the truth that Matthew is connecting Jesus with that's going to strengthen, it's going to apply, it's going to encourage us as we make disciples. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18. It'll be on the screen for me if that's easier for you. But this is what Matthew says the birth of Jesus came about. This is the how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, 
But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to the Son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Our verses for this morning. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, or your translation may say, which translated as God with us. So when Joseph woke up, he did that the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And here's the obedience. Here is the act of faith. Here is the acknowledgement that God exists. And he gave him the name Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to look at Matthew because he makes this connection to Isaiah's words. And every time, anytime you're reading the Bible in the New Testament and there's a quote, and if you have footnotes in your Bible that references an Old Testament passage, I would encourage you to go there to see how the author is relating to that. So if you have your Bibles, again, turn a little bit farther back to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Emmanuel, God with us, is only used in the Bible three times. It's used once in Isaiah 14. Choose again in Isaiah 8, and then Matthew references it in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. So I'm going to read this, but I'm going to give you some background because we're going to go through this pretty quickly. What's happening is the kingdom of Israel has been divided. There's two kings. David is gone. Solomon is gone. The the kingdom is split in two, and the northern kingdom has allied themselves um, with Syria. And the Assyrians to the east are growing in numbers, and there's an imminent threat, and so Syria and uh, the northern kingdom of, of Israel are coming down to the kingdom of Judah and like, hey, you've you got to join with us to stop this foe. And if you don't, we're going we're gonna to go to war with you. So that's the context. And King Ahaz is the king. And God sends Isaiah, as we'll read. I'm going to read, read through this Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1. When Isaiah, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, was the king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramillah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken. As the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind, they're being attacked by these these allies that are gathering together and they are scared in their boots. And then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to Ahaz and your son and meet Haz at the end of the aqueduct in the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field say to him be careful keep calm and do not be afraid they're terrified god sends isaiah to encourage them do not be afraid do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood man what an insult what what a what a, to take these kingdoms down to smoldering stubs of firewood and the Lord says, because the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram of the son of Ramillah. Aram and Ephraim, 
and Ramillah's sons have plotted your ruin, saying, let's invade Judah. Let's tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make uh, the son of Tebal king over it. But this is what, the, look at this, sovereign Lord says to Ahaz, it will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only, is only, like insignificant, is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim too will be, will be a shattered people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and you know the head of Samaria is only Ramilla's son, and you do and then he says this, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And so Ahaz is confronted with a choice. Do I believe the word of the Lord? Do I take him seriously? Do I say he does exist and he is true to his word? And he's pondering this and he's actually in his mind already said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to ignore God. I'm not going to do what he says. I'm actually going to take some gold from God's temple and go over to Assyria and pay them not to invade me. But then again, the Lord spoke to Isaiah. He says, ask me for a sign, whether the deepest depths or the highest heaven. Ask me for a sign so that I can show you that what I said is true. And then King Ahaz says this, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to test. He's being sarcastic here. And Isaiah confronts that when he says, um, uh, then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will concede and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject right and wrong and choose the right but God says, before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of these two kings, these smoldering stumps, will be laid to waste. So that's the sign that God gives Isaiah, God gives to Isaiah, to King Ahaz. And we learn later that he doesn't take the sign, but in fact that these two kingdoms come. But, but when he says Emmanuel is with you, God is with you, that is a uh, in the Old Testament, they would combine names for, for meaning. Um, we don't really do that today. Today, we look on world's top, most popular baby names, and we pick the one that we like and, and do that. Um, but back then, names meant something. And so in Hebrew, the Emmanuel means God with us. But you can refer to me as Scott, but you also, in a different context, can refer to me as Haley's husband or Kevin and Wendy's son or Sophia's dad, depending on what uh, aspect of me you want to highlight. In Emmanuel, there's a lot of names for God. L, the prefix L, means strong one or mighty one. So you can see how this specific aspect of God is meant to encourage Ahaz. The strong one, the mighty one, is with us. Don't be afraid. Don't be shaken. These two smoldering stumps will be laid to waste. And so you can see that connection that Matthew pulls from this account. And so we go back and you think about Joseph and Mary. Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary to be home with your wife because uh, Jesus will save his people from their sin and they, he will call him Emmanuel, the strong one is with us. So I want you from now on until, until you go with Jesus to think, when you think Emmanuel, think the strong one. 
Think the strong one. And so if you're Joseph and you're in the context of I'm going to raise the son of God or how am I going to deal with uh, what this looks like and the pressure and what people are saying, God, the strong one, is with us. And so Jesus grew up. He lived a perfect and sinless life and ultimately to die on the cross for our sins or for the sins of the world. Jesus, Matthew says, Jesus is Emmanuel, is God the strong one with us. So Jesus, the strong one, grew up, lived that perfect and sinless life, ultimately to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And he was buried, and then he rose again three days later, and then he hung out with his disciples and and showed himself to a bunch of people, and then he ascended into heaven where he is right now. And so he lives that perfect and sinless life. He, he, he saves people from their sins. And then before he leaves, actually Matthew records this. Matthew record, he starts with Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And he ends with Matthew 28, which is the Great Commission. He tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey everything that I command you. And then he says this, and lo, I am with you. I am with you. Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And he talks to them as the Holy Spirit will come, and then he ascends up into the heavens. And the disciples are like, he's going to be with us always. All right. Okay. And they're standing up in there, and then God sends an angel to remind them, hey, you've got some work to do. You've got to wait for that Holy Spirit. But you may be saying, okay, yeah, Jesus was there. Jesus was God with Abraham. Jesus was God with Isaac. Jesus was the God with Joseph and Mary and the disciples. But I haven't seen Jesus. I haven't seen Jesus. How how can God be with me? Well, Emmanuel, God the strong one, is with us now as a result of the gospel, as a result of Christ paying for our sins through his spirit. God the strong one is with us through his spirit. John actually tells the disciples before this happens in John chapter 16, he says, very truly I tell you, it is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because the people do not believe in Jesus and me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned because of what happened on the cross. Jesus says, I have much to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when he comes the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and what he will tell you and what is yet to come. He will glorify me because he is from me. Then he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And this is why I said the spirit will receive from me and he will make known to you. And so God is able to be with the disciples after he is physically ascended 
because he sent his spirit. We believe that God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are one. And so God sends Emmanuel, the strong one, is with us now through his spirit. We have God's spirit within us. And in through the, the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament, there's this, if you follow the idea of God's presence, there's God's presence with Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything is hunky-dory. God is with them, walking them in the cool of the garden. And then they sin. They disobey God. They enter sin into the world. And then their relationship with God is severed. And they're, they're cast out of the garden, never to return. And then they wander through life. But before that happens, God says, hey, There will be one that comes that will restore that relationship. And then we have the history of of humankind, who humanity ever since that has been trying to get back to God. Because we were created in God's image and we were created for relationship with him. And so you have the nation of Israel that God sets out to to be the light of the world and to um, be a, a, a sign to the nations. And so we go from a a personal, intimate presence with God to now God is appearing in a bush to Moses or a pillar of uh, cloud by day to the nation of Israel and a pillar of fire by night. And so we go there and then they establish the tabernacle, which was a sign of God's presence with his people. And then we have the time of the judges and we have the history of the the Israelites uh, do not follow the Lord do not hear his word, and then they do not follow him. And so then you get the exile, you get the, the split kingdoms, you get Assyria coming in and taking them away, and then Babylon coming in and taking them away. And then um, in your Bibles between Matthew and, and Malachi, you have this white page, which is the silent years. God doesn't speak for 400 years, and then we have Jesus. Emmanuel, God the strong one with us humbling himself, taking on the form of a servant so that when Mary and Joseph look at Jesus, they can see God in flesh. The incarnate deity, God putting on flesh so that he could dwell among us. Before, if you were to look at God, you would be utterly obliterated. It's like uh, Indiana Jones and the Crusaders of the Lost Ark where they look at the ark and they just, they just die because you cannot look at God and live. But you can look at Jesus and live. And so we have this idea of God's presence and now you think because of the gospel, because God has uh, saved us from our sins, he's paid that penalty. At the moment that we receive Christ, God's spirit comes into us and we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. God himself dwelling within us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling inside of us. So we can say Jesus was with Joseph and with Mary and the disciples, but God is also with us. God the strong one is with us through his spirit. What a comfort. What a comfort. But God not only is us with us through his spirit, he's also God the strong one with us through his word. God's word is active and sharp and we have the very words of God breathed out so that we know that he can speak to us. That we can experience his presence when we open up the Bible and we ask him to to show us the truth that is found in it. 
God the strong one is with us through his word, his powerful, powerful word. God is also Emmanuel, God the strong one with us through his church. The church is called the what of Christ? The bride and the body of Christ. And the church is uh, believers who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so that is one of the ways God has given us the church to, to love and care and, and serve one another. 1 Corinthians 12, we, we talked about that when we were talking about spiritual gifts. Paul says, now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. Those who have God's spirit because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and accepting that in faith. So not only do we have Emmanuel, God the strong one, with us through his spirit and through his word, we have it through his church, his body, our church family. And so the truth that Matthew conveys is that God is with us through Jesus. God, through Jesus, has allowed his spirit to dwell in us, to guide us, to lead us. We must remember and meditate and believe the truth that God is with us through his Holy Spirit, through his word, through his church. And we must draw encouragement and strength because Emmanuel, God, the strong one, is with us. So when we struggle to spend time with God in his word, God the strong one is with us. When we struggle to pray like we ought to, the Bible says God's spirit intercedes on our behalf with groans, with words to, unable to be uttered. When we don't know what to pray, God's spirit is praying for us. When you're going through hardship and you can't even crack open your Bible, God is with you. And as you, as you stumble to try and, and make sense of that, God's spirit is there with you, guiding you, illuminating you of what that means. When we struggle to love our families, our spouses, our parents, our kids, Emmanuel, God the strong one, is with us. Jack talked about the fruit of the what? Spirit is love. When we can't love like Christ's love, we have his spirit within us that produces fruit so that we can love them. When we struggle to lead, the spirit guides us. We follow him as we lead our, our spouses, our families, our ministries. We really are following the spirit's leadership as we lead them. When we struggle to submit, the Spirit, God the Strong One, is with us there to help us. When we struggle to obey, God the Strong One is with us to, yes, convict us of when we err, but to encourage us in the truth of what to do, what is right. When we struggle to forgive, the Spirit of God reminds us of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And so we can forgive others because God, 
himself through Christ has forgiven us. When we struggle to trust, God's spirit reminds us. When we struggle with sin, that spirit convicts us and leads us into the way to the truth. When we struggle to call out sin in other people's lives, God is with us. That's one of the hardest things to do if you are part of our church family is to call out gently and in love another brother who is sinning. But you know, the other, the other time Matthew emphasis, emphasizes Jesus' presence, Matthew chapter 18, talking about preserving the unity of the body of Christ with believers. He says, where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there I am also. When we struggle with despair, anxiety, frustration, anger, or laziness, God, the strong one, is with us. God is always with us. Psalm 139, where can I go to escape your presence? If I go to the highest heights, you are there. If I go to the deepest valleys, you are there. Psalm 23, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because who is with me? God is with me. God the strong one is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Nevertheless, with Jesus' birth, God draws near to humanity in a new way. Matthew accents that in the essential moments at the beginning, midpoint, and end of his gospel, which I just told you about. The incarnation, we learn Jesus is Emmanuel, God, the strong one with us to save us from our sins. At the midpoint, Jesus is with us in church discipline, pursuing the unity and purity of the church. And before he ascends, he commands the apostles and the disciples and all those after them, giving us a mission and a task. And he gives us that with the authority of God and then he empowers us with his presence and his spirit. As God has asked us and equipped us to do the very thing, to go and make disciples, we struggle if we don't believe God exists. We struggle if, we don't, if we're not aware of his presence with us. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must pick up his cross and carry me. Follow me. Jesus, throughout the gospel, talks about the sacrifice of being a follower of Jesus. He gives an illustration about counting the cost before you go to war or before you build something to make sure you know what you're getting into. If we're here, if we're a follower of Jesus, our chief end is to glorify him forever and to fulfill the mission that he has called us to do, which is to go and make disciples. And so when we struggle with, oh, do I have the time to make disciples? Do I have the resources to make disciples? Do I have the energy to make disciples? Do I have the drive to make disciples? Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He has given us his spirit, God the strong one, to do that. And so I don't know what situation you're facing with. I want you to think about that. What, what are you struggling with? 
this Christmas season. And yes, it's a Merry Christmas, but we know as, as humans we struggle. And it could be the worst time of the year, to be quite frankly. Maybe we're struggling with sin. Maybe we're struggling with the loss of a loved one. Maybe we're struggling with anxiety, fear, or depression. Maybe we're struggling with priorities. As we take this time around Christmas to, to focus in on the birth of Jesus, not only that he's the savior of the world for the sins of men, but he's also God, the strong one, with us. Take comfort in that. You are not alone. You are not without equipping and encouragement. You've got the very presence, the very spirit of God, member of the Trinity, residing within you. Think about that. With whatever you're going through, God is with you. He's there to guide you and to comfort you and to lead you into the truth. God's also with us through his word. We here at Heritage, we, we love Jesus, but we love the Bible. We love Jesus' his, his words. We want to preach this Bible. We want to teach this Bible. We want to sing this Bible. We want to pray this Bible. We want to get so much of God's word into us that it just oozes out of us. One pastor says, we want to get this word into us. We have his word, and we have his, his people. We have his body, his, his family, his church family to be with you because sometimes when you're going through those difficult valleys it's hard to believe that God is with us but that presence that physical presence of another brother and sister that meal delivered to your house that brother that you can confess to and and pray with that you may be healed the call to love and serve and to care for one another God is with us and so this morning, you may be here, and, and you might be an atheist. And I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm so glad that you're here. And maybe God used his word and his spirit to, to have you to wrestle with the, the presence of Christ. But right now, if you have never accepted the fact that you are a sinner and that your sin demands payment, and Christ, the perfect sinless one, came to earth to die for your sin on the cross... He didn't stay dead, but he was buried, and then three days later, God rose him from the dead. The Bible says if you believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he did those things and confess with your mouth, you may be saved. And at that moment, not, you know, pending, not uh, until it's been delivered, at that moment when we trust Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, God's Spirit comes to dwell within us. So, you may have walked in here without the presence of God, but you may certainly are able to walk out with the presence of God. And at Christmas, God's presence would be the greatest gift that anyone that's here could give to you. And we would love to, to show you through God's word that gospel. But for the rest of us who are here, who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, God is with us. God the strong one is with us. So whatever you're going through, remember, don't let culture and secularism and the idea of being a practical atheist make its way out in how we live. We must remember that God is always with us. Uh, another gospel inconsistency that we just had as we were praying, I prayed 
this morning with, with Pastor Glenn and Pastor Paul and Mitch that God would be with us. God, be with us this morning. Gospel inconsistency. Why is that a gospel inconsistency? Because we don't need to ask God to be with us because he is already with us. Do you see that subtle shift that, if, that the devil is so crafty that if, we can, if he can get us Christians to, to ask for God's presence, that subtly we teach ourselves that God isn't present with us? We don't need to ask God for his presence. We need to thank him for it. God, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for being with me wherever I go, whatever valley I face, whatever struggle I wrestle with, whatever hardship you allow to endure in my life. Thank you that you are with me. So this Christmas, and not just Christmas, it's like, you know, why can't every day be like Christmas? Elvis Presley, anybody? Right? That is one of my wife's favorite Christmas songs. So I have that sucker memorized. But for the believer, every day is Christmas. Every day God's presence is with us. And so we can be reminded of that, whatever we're going through. That Emmanuel, not just God, the strong one, the one that takes nations and puts them to a smoldering stump. The one that conceived our Lord Jesus in the womb of a virgin. The one that lived the perfect and sinless life and died on a cross for me and for you and for all of us who places our faith in Christ. God, the strong one, is with us. So this Christmas, let us, like never before, unwrap that gift each and every day. May we start our day with a prayer of thanksgiving, not a prayer of supplication. God, thank you that you are with me. As I live my day, as I read your word, as I make disciples, as I love my wife and raise my daughter, thank you for being with me. That is Emmanuel. That is our strong God with us. After I pray, we're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I want you with a newfound passion to remember that Christ has already come. But for the believer, God came as a baby the first time and he will come as a righteous king the second. And we have the hope, the expectation, and the wonder to say, God, you are going to come again. And it's not his spirit that's going to come, it's his physical presence to take us home to be with him in his presence forever. So when Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age, eon, eternity, we will have God's presence with us for eternity, but we will have the magnificence of seeing our Savior in physical bodily form, face to face, to hear that well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me pray and let us sing in awe and wonder of God's gift to us this Christmas. Father, thank you that you are with us, that your plan from the beginning was for your creation to be with you in your presence forever. And Lord, humanity messed up. We disobeyed. We followed the lie of the devil, and that separated, that changed our presence with you. 
But thank you that even from the beginning, those early chapters in Genesis and the beginning of the world, you promised one to come to make everything right. And that even though we don't have your presence in that same way, Lord, throughout history, your plan was to send your son to die on the cross in our place, to forgive us of our sins, to make us a new creation so that your spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, is in us. So no matter what we're going through, Lord, use your spirit within us to remind us that you are with us, that you are there to empower us, that that you, the strong one, are with us. And Lord, there may be someone here that does not acknowledge you as Savior. They've never uh, confessed their sin and their need for you. And Lord, they do not have your spirit within them. Lord, I pray that you would use your spirit to draw them, that today that they may seek out someone here or go to the Welcome Center or go home and read the book of John and allow your spirit and your word to work in their life, that they would become saved and that your spirit would enter them. I pray that this may be the day of salvation for some. And Lord, for the rest of us, help us to remember that you are with us. What an incredible gift. Thank you for the truth that Matthew gave us, that you're Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord Jesus, you promised to never leave us or forsake us and to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Lord, we look forward to when you do return And we can see you face to face and experience your presence forever. But until then, use your spirit which you've left us to empower us, to make disciples, and to love you with everything that we have. Lord, thank you for your spirit. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to close with this, Paul's words in Romans 8. And you know that all things work together for good for those who are loved God and those who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who brings a charge against those who God has chosen? No one. It is God who justifies. Who is it that he condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died. More than that, he was raised to life and at the right hand of God is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors. For those through him he loved us. For I am confident that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Emmanuel, God the strong one is with us.